Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action helping others and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, fluff-free, full-strength honesty. I love that aspect of the intro, and that is what you're going to be, of course, getting from us. Listeners, I want you to go back and listen to the podcast we did the previous week. Julie and I um, are getting more and more, I would say, non-anecdotal uh, reports about what's happening around the country. Um, we're starting to hear from brokerages and you know, people we've known for 20, 25 years who are listening to the podcast who are saying, Tim, I used your sort of, you know, <laughs> warning to get into the MLS and start doing some homework, and I found out that a lot of the early warning signs that we saw happening back in 06 and 07 are happening again, and um, thank you for telling us what we didn't want to hear and we didn't want to hear it at the highest level, and, and of course, it's our pleasure. That's what we do. It's our job not just to rah-rah, you guys. It's our job to tell you the truth and give you tactical, practical information that will help you uh, you know, to be in a position to help others and make money, and that's what the po- focus of today's podcast is all about. One of the interesting topics that everyone thinks they're an expert at is negotiating, and it's one of the things that most people are the worst at because it's not what you think. Negotiating a transaction, negotiating is not just about terms. It's about people's feelings and emotions and expectations and acknowledgement that at the end of the day, it's not about you trying to impress them with how effective of a negotiator you are. It's about getting the two parties together. And Julie's going to give you some very tactical and practical points on what you should be doing, and you should write these down and have these on your desk every time you're going through the negotiation process on anything, not just a contract, but just even on an unsatisfactory conditions report. Or, you know, you could use these techniques when you're negotiating with your four and a half year old, like Julie and I have to practically every day with Zoe. So whatever you know, whatever you find yourself negotiating, you should use Julie's points that she's going to share with you today. Julie, anybody you'd like to acknowledge from the private Facebook page or from anyone Hi. anywhere else? We have so many. Well, there's a group of new members, so I'm going to uh, mutually welcome to all of our great new coaching members. Many of them are grizzled veterans who are wanting to get to the next level. So I wanted to uh, shout out to all of them and let them know that I anxiously await seeing their names and their phone numbers pop up on my screen on the premier coaching calls, which we do daily. So uh, also to your point with the changing markets and some weird things that we're seeing, the uh, Mm -hmm. combination of you know, escalating prices, but to a degree. One of the things you and I both read this morning is, yes, that's true, but at the same time, we're seeing a big increase in price reductions. So what does that mean? That means, you know, what you were able to push your luck on before and maybe get, and we're starting to see a little bit of a lid on that in many places. So how can you have escalating prices and more price reductions at the same time? Well, that tells you that many sellers are not getting what they thought they were then maybe we're coming to the limit of that. So watch that. And in future podcasts, because I've been actually working ahead by some miracle of the podcast gods, later this week we're going to be talking about exactly what to look at on your daily uh, hot sheets, on your own research. How do you know what exactly is happening in your market? So we're going to give you, you about go. a 12-point awesome. on that. So just but, Julie, it's worth noting. Okay. You, just, you just said something. It, it's worth noting what Julie just said. you guys got to really use your – you know, 
You need to start thinking of yourselves as small business owners. You need to start realizing that if you have a shitty month, let alone three or four strung together, that no one's really going to bail you out. You need to understand it's not your broker's job to really help you run your business outside of what they're legally responsible uh, for doing. You are a small business owner. It's your job not just to basically generate the lead and make the sale and do all the other things that are ancillary to selling a house or working with a buyer. Or build. You need to also learn to do a little bit of forecasting and, and learn where to get your information about what's ex going to happen next in the economy, let alone the real estate markets. Because what you're going to discover is the MLSs usually do a fantastic job of giving you unbiased information about what's actually happening in the MLSs. MLSs are one of the first sources we go to when we're really trying to cut through the, you know, the Mickey Mouse about what direction the market's going. And as soon as you go beyond the MLSs, then you start getting into people with an agenda. So they might take information from one of the greatest MLSs in you know, the United States, like the Orlando Board of Realtors. They might, you know, 15,000 members, they're growing like leaps and bounds. And Inman reports every day on MLSs becoming irrelevant. Well, I challenge you to say they're irrelevant when you look at a great MLS like the one in Orlando. So what they all, you can get incredible, real, drilled down, unbiased information from that source. And then what happens is that information then becomes politicized. One person might be or one news source might be trying to spin it, the positive housing markets forever and ever. Then you might read on another report where they'll say, like, housing prices have gotten to the point where most people can't afford houses, and what are we going to do about it? I mean, they're, they're all, they have these little agendas. So and it's easy to fall prey to some of these agendas and start believing bad information about real estate, the real estate markets. We're not going to be delivering information to you guys uh, with any agenda other than we want you to thrive in a changing market. Once the market's changed, it's a heck of a lot easier because everybody knows the rules. It's the changing market that is, the, is frankly, the blender. The changing market is what kicks people's butts because a changing market can last a year or two, and in that year or two, there's going to be people that believe it's changing, think it'll bounce back, sellers that have aspirational pricing, a.k.a. overpriced, you know, buyers that – you just all these different emotional things that will wear you out. So you need, as a small business owner – to find the reliable sources of information that you're after and then absolutely positively, uh, you know, have confidence in those sources. It, it, I was just thinking as I was talking, you know, which is always good to do, that if you're going to, for example, if you go to your real estate brokerages, uh, like your big convention, and you walk through, uh, you walk into the, you guys have all been in this situation before, right? You go to a big convention and there's, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 people there. Those conventions are a cash cow for the brand that's putting on the event because of all the sponsorship that they sell at those events. Those little crappy booths that you see those poor salespeople having to sell out of, some of those cost like $20,000, $50,000 just to have what amounts to probably like 150 square feet on the floor of some booth that you guys have to pass by in order to get to where you want to go. Well, if you're holding that convention and you're being paid by all those people to be at the event, are you going to deliver information that's going to do anything other than make the agents optimistic about going out there and spending money with those vendors? Do you guys get what I'm saying here? Do you understand what I'm saying? They cannot give you unbiased information because they have a business relationship with people who need to sell stuff to you, and that is how these guys make money. There's nothing wrong with that. 
as long as you understand that when you go to one of these big conventions and you hear some big, you know, economist giving you some big, uh, you know, prediction about the housing market, and in, in the back of the room or back in the hallway, there's, you know, a hundred vendors who have all spent twenty thousand dollars to be there to sell you branding, to sell you all this stuff. There is no way in hell he's going to give you bad information. There's no way in hell he's going to give you information that's going to do anything other than make you cheer. If you guys have been in the business for any amount of time, you saw that happening back in 2006 and 2007. Nobody was reporting on what was actually happening in the housing market. But you know who knew? You guys knew. The individual practitioner knew. And then they go to these big conventions and everyone, no one was talking about it. It was at least a year or two before our big competitors even acknowledged the housing recession. They used to make fun of us for talking about short sales. Julie and I were talking about short sales in early 2007. We were talking about distressed real estate in about mid-2007, years before everybody else was, because we wanted to give you guys the relevant information to be of service to other people so you can make money in that market and thrive in that market. We were looking out for you. We weren't trying to basically you know, please some vendor or trying to just assume that you guys – there's a belief that real estate agents won't invest in their businesses unless they think they're in a seller's market. It, you know what? I don't think like that. Neither does Julie. It's our belief that you guys will invest in your businesses when you realize that your business needs to have a specific uh, area of improvement because the market's changing. And so if we see the market's going to change, we're going to tell you. We're unbiased. So please use the information we're giving you. Do your own homework. Go to your usually fantastic local MLS. Learn how to use your, uh, your MLS, you know, your board of realtors. And your, use, learn how to use your MLS. Don't just use a quick and dirty MLS thing. Go in there and actually deep dive into the content on the MLS, and you will find amazing things that will make you so much more confident about your job, uh, your ability to be a professional for folks in your marketplace. Julie, you have any other uh, closing thoughts on that before we get to our negotiating points? No, it's absolutely true. Follow those breadcrumbs. And, you know, I do remember back when we first started talking about short sales is because we knew what they were from selling in the Midwest, starting with that. Yeah. And then we knew what those early warning signs were. And things changed so quickly. I remember it was, well, what do you mean I don't have multiple offers one week? And then it was, what do you mean I'm not getting a gajillion dollars year over year? And then it was, how can somebody lose money? <laughs> how is that even possible? I've never even heard of that. So you do have to pay attention to your local tea leaves, and we'll be teaching you exactly how to do that. And to Tim's point about your local um, MLSs, most of them have a class, and sometimes you can even get CE credit, that will teach you how to not just use those front two screens that you use for searching property or entering a new listing. Most of them have so much more functionality that, that really will serve you well, but you don't use it every day, so you don't know it's there. So that's a little tiny bit of homework. So back to negotiation because you know negotiation is something that changes in a changing market as well and it becomes that much more critical that you get great at this not just good at it not just good at dabbling when it seems like a pretty light negotiation you can handle but this is something you've got to study it's the difference between helping enough people to meet their needs so you can meet your needs versus only helping people on you know kind of your comfort level so I'm going to start with a quote from John F Kennedy he said quote, let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. I think you can definitely apply that to real estate. And then another quote from Robert Estabrook, he who, is learn he who has learned to disagree without being disagreeable has discovered the most valuable secret of a diplomat. 
that quote made me think of agent-to-agent negotiation, sometimes with your clients, but learn to disagree without being disagreeable. So we're going to talk about some specifics here, simple strategies to keep your cool in any negotiation. So let's start with some negotiation affirmations. I feel calm and in control when I negotiate because, okay, so you can only be calm and cool when you negotiate because of the following. I want you guys to write this down. It makes a huge difference. Number one, when I know my client's motivation. Now, note to self, as we see days on the market increasing in, in some of your areas, the motivation of the client can change from the day you listed it to the day you get the offer. Their motivation may be different. So make sure that you know what it is today by asking them. That way you don't make any assumptions. Now, assumptions can get in your way on any type of negotiation, but assuming that you guys hear this from each other all the time, oh, a seller will never accept that. Well, how do you know? Maybe their negotiation changed and they're dying to get any offer, okay? Or the buyer would never agree to that. Well, you have to know their motivation before you make statements like that. Uh, number two, related to this, you must know your client's time frame. Have we already surpassed it because they already closed on their new construction home, because they already relocated, because they're already missing payments, whatever the case may be, what is their time frame? Are you ahead or behind of the time frame they stated when you took the listing? Now that assumes that you used the seller's pre-qualification script before you actually got there and know the time frame. And again, this can change as well. How many sellers tell you they won't take one red cent less than a million dollars and then two weeks later in two big open houses and they find out that their new house is closing or some other motivation has changed? But yeah, actually, you know, I'll, I'll maybe take 885 just to get it over with. So they claim different things along the path. All right, number three, know each client's specific numbers. How do you do that? If it's a buyer, buyer net sheet, seller, seller's net sheet, secret. It's not always about the money. Sometimes it's about the time frame, the convenience, or sometimes it's about the stainless steel refrigerator or the hot tub or the pool table, depending on what you're dealing with. It's not always about the money. Anything you want to add so far while I take a breath here, Tim? Um, yeah, I mean, that's the main thing. Every time I hear somebody, uh, agents, this is a mistake that it's so common in all price ranges, no matter how experienced they are. Money is virtually never the most important thing to a seller, even though they might tell you that it is because that's what's in the, that's kind of like the stationary normal response. Most people will, uh, you know, it's the convenience of the transaction. It's the hassle factor of the transaction. It's the, effectively, the politeness and the respect that the other side, including you, are showing to them in the transaction, and then it's money. Most people are not money motivated. Like 99.9% .9 of everyone out there is conflict-avoiding motivated and not money motivated. How can I say that with such a high level of confidence? How many people are rich? Very few, because they're not money motivated. Not really, not in the sense of, you know, basically they're going to put all their best efforts every day on focusing on earning more money. That isn't what people are all about. Most people are about relationships. They're about, you know, those types of things that make the world go around. And so for you to think that money is the most important thing when you're negotiating a transaction means that you'll lose the transaction. You have to look at all the pieces and parts, money being just one of them. Indeed. So that means you've got to know more about some of your sellers and buyers than you probably know today. Got to ask better questions. Point number four, this is something that's kind of in the background. You guys don't always think about this. Know the average days on the market for the subject property that you're negotiating on. Why is this important? 
Well, if the average days on the market is 120, okay, and you're on day three, you might negotiate differently than if the average days on the market is 10, and now you're at 120, and it's way longer than it should have taken to sell the house. The nature of your negotiation changes based on the expectations that the market is showing you. So run that before you start negotiating, and that, that definitely applies on both the buyer side and the seller side. Point number five, know the average list to sell price ratio for the subject property that you're negotiating on. I see this most prevalently when buyers try and talk you guys into lowballing, and your script to counteroffer that is, based on the comps in the neighborhood, the last six sales have been about 98 and 99% of list price. Your offer is 85% of list price. Why would a seller even entertain something that's so far off of what the neighborhood stats, which are public record, say to everyone? And that can work both ways, right? So if it's going for 105% of list, you can use that depending on which side that you're on. Okay? Now, as markets change and that list to sell price ratio starts to fall, maybe sometimes it's 93%. And the buyer's offer in the seller's mind looks like a low ball, but it's actually right at 93%, then that is in alignment with the expectations based on your comps, isn't it? But you can't have those conversations if you haven't looked it up ahead of time. Okay, now here's another important factor. Number six, know the other client's motivation, their time frame, and their situation. Ask the other agent, are there other offers? Are they cash offers? Is it the agent's own client? What is the situation? A great question when you're on the buyer side and you're calling that listing agent, a great question is, other than price, what's most important to your seller? What are the most important factors in their move? Sometimes just getting their closing date can be way more important than the final bottom line that you don't know if you don't ask. Oh, well, the agent always goes to voicemail. But, you know, make a better effort to find them. Drive over to their office. Call their broker. Find out where they are. Text them. Do whatever it takes. Those of you who track down, when you're on the buyer side and you track down those listing agents and ask those questions, you guys are the ones that win in a competitive situation. Sometimes when there is no other competition, winning at all means that you got it accepted. It's not just winning versus other people. Sometimes it's winning at all as the market changes. Okay, another critical point. Know the expiration date of the subject property. Is the clock ticking? If that's your listing, obviously that's pretty critical, how you handle it. And if you're on the buyer side, what's the expiration date of that subject property? How long has that listing agent been dealing with that seller? You can usually look that up in the MLS. All right, point number eight, know what the options are for your client. How many homes on the market are like this one? What is the absorption rate? Okay, so is keeping the home an option if it's a seller? What are the options for the buyer? Is this the only thing they've got to choose from? And we've got to go to the mat for this? What are the different options? And, you know, options can mean many different things. Staying where they are, extending their lease, just depends on what the nature of your transaction is. Point number nine, understand that negotiation means, big point here, that both parties come to an acceptable agreement, not, out, not an all-out war of volatility, okay? Keep calm and carry on. You've got to be the rock. You can count on pretty much everybody else being full of drama. You're not allowed to be. Understand negotiating means both parties come to an acceptable agreement. Point number 10, understand that when the buyer wants to buy and the seller wants to sell, you still have a deal. You just have to figure out how to put it together. That's how you see through the different back and forth in the drama. And then point number 11 is pretty easy. Well, depending on 
how much you've worked on this. Keep your ego in check. Do what's best for your client first. Do what's best for your client first. Don't practice what we coaches call self-agency, taking care of only yourself. Be of service and you always win. And yes, sometimes that means chipping in to get a deal to close. Now we talked about last week in our podcast, we had one that was called uh, the revenge of the pending contract and how to deal with some of this negotiation management and maybe splitting it four ways, looking at different uh, ways to re uh, resolve this, that ultimately if the buyer wants to buy and the seller wants to sell, don't be the thing that gets in the way. Oh, this makes sense, Tim. I'm done with my negotiation yeah. rant officially. <laughs> no, it's good stuff. So I, I guess really the bottom yeah, the bottom real line is when you're starting a negotiating process, you've got to know what's most. Let's say you're representing the seller, you have to know what's most important to the seller, and don't just take your values to the negotiating table, or you'll lose the deal. Um, you know, it, mm -hmm. I promise you, most cases, money is going to be number three or four. Number one is going to be convenience. Number two is going to be convenience. Number three is going to be convenience. They're going to want to be able to have control of their move out. They don't want to have basically a moving truck waiting for them to, you know, the new owner to move in while they're moving their stuff out. They don't want all that stress. They want a smooth, easy process. And if you present to um, your seller or even your buyer, obviously, how that's all going to work. Okay, so this contract is going to close on this day. They're giving you this much time to move out. This gives us plenty of time to accomplish this, that, and the other thing, so you're not going to have the stress of having to worry about this, that, and the other thing. When you go over those types of concerns that all sellers feel, because look, you guys, if you've moved personally, which all of you have, it sucks. And if you had, uh, you know, if you have children, if you have pets, it, oh, horribly stressful. And that's what they're thinking about. And they will literally leave money on the table to mitigate that stress. So don't approach the transaction with money being the most important thing if it's not. Now, if it's an investor, even if it's an investor, the money, the actual dollar, bottom line dollar might not be the most important thing. The most important thing to an investor might be when it closes for the sake of doing a 1031 or something. You guys get the point? So don't make the mistake that every rookie agent does in assuming that money is the most important thing. Go over the other the parameters of whatever the particular you know issue to be negotiated is, and find out what matters to them. And it's very difficult not to allow your ego to step in because some of you are going to feel like protective, you know, mama bears, where you're supposed to go in there and somehow think you're supposed to go to battle and all that. As soon as you start feeling those feelings bubble up inside of you, you're going to lose. Julie, why do you think agents do that? Why do you think agents basically start treating some of these things like it's a blood match when they're negotiating? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's a combination of, like, it's this weird mixture of ego and fear uh, and yep. grandstanding, which is yep. ego. I think that some agents have a an odd relationship with their commission dollars and have some kind of weird wealth guilt going on, like somehow they have to show that they're earning it. Where And I, you know, I believe that you have to earn it. Yes, that's true. But you earn that from the second that person was a lead by treating them with respect and, you know, using good scripts and following the seven-step listing process. If it's a listing, you know, it's not just about, like, proving that you can beat up on the other side on their behalf. They may not even have any interest in doing that. Just because you feel like you're supposed to doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. You know, there's so many places that you can use your – I think you made a good point that wasn't one of my official points. Don't don't make your stance their stance. You got to ask. It's you know one of the things that I learned uh, negotiating home inspections. Right? I used to gosh, I used to hate those grocery lists of just crap well, so that we, we had to get our sellers that. to do. Talk, but but 
Yeah. Well, let, let's so actually tell them how we handled home inspections when we sold real estate and how we have all of our agents do it. Uh, Julie, let me walk through the broad strokes, then you can you can yeah, tell it, put it in please. the color, okay? All right. So yep. the, the normal way that agents do uh, negotiations of unsatisfactory conditions, and if you guys have only sold the hot market, you don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, because in most cases the house was the house and they had to take it as is. But that world is coming to an end, and you're going to start seeing more than ever that buyers are going to start using the home inspections as a way to renegotiate the contract. That's the way it works in a normal market. So you're going to have to get really good at how to handle the unsatisfactory conditions. Now we can talk about the fact that you should probably have the house pre-inspected and all the repairs done ahead of time. And give a copy of the inspection to the potential buyer, and maybe that's a good uh, strategy for some of you. But here's when you get those unsatisfactory conditions, as should be expected, you need to first of all let the seller know that it's normal part of the transaction, that they're going to get some repairs, some needed repairs, and uh, you know when that time comes, you'll send them over the report. When you get the report, you'll the buyer's agent, again, we focus on listing agents, but when you get that report listing agents, or the email, or the call, there's some unsatisfactory, and it's always going to be the buyer's agent lots of drama, right? Oh, they found all this, the other thing, and there was a blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Send me over the report. Uh, send me over the, the, the report that the home inspector sent to the buyer so my seller can see the actual report, not your you know three-line summary of the report. We want to see the actual report, and we want to see and send over whatever the requests are that the buyer has about what needs to be fixed. Okay, so you're going to get the report, listing agents, and then I want you to take that report and just package it with, along with the unsatisfactory conditions and send it over to the seller with a quick message. I'm sending you over the unsatisfactory conditions report and the complete home inspection report. Let me know what you think. And that's it. Do not that's go over it with them. The Do not point. bring your. Okay. Like, yeah. I think I painted with color. Right? <laughs> so don't, don't, yeah, the don't add your not, drama. Oh my God, you're. You're not going to believe the list they just sent. I mean, how many of you guys do that, yeah. honestly? You're making it worse. Yeah. You're ruining your deals, right? So just shut up and send over the report. Don't add your drama to it. And here's what you're going to find. Nine times out of ten, the seller is going to agree to everything. And then after closing, they're going to snicker to you and say, well, I can't believe they didn't ask for the trees to be trimmed. <laughs> or they'll say, well, I'm surprised they didn't find out about the furnace that was, you know, whatever, right? So Funny. at the end of the day, the seller expects to have to do some repairs. The seller knows the house needs some repairs. The seller is going to do some repairs. They were planning on doing some repairs. And then, you know, inexperienced agents will call up and confuse the hell out of them. Oh, I, we're going to really go to the mat. And we're going to, no, they're not getting this. They're not getting the other thing. Oh, they asked for this. They're not getting that. No, that's not your job listing agents. Or even buyer's agents to overpromise that you're going to get everything you know that the house possibly will need and never does need in their home inspection report. That's a good way to kill a deal too. So guys, just do it from the buyer's perspective. Get the home inspection. Look at the home inspection. Ask the buyer what's important to them. Don't add your opinion. It doesn't matter. And then ha write it down in an unsatisfactory conditions report. Send the entire report along with the USC form over to the listing agent. Then the listing agents, I told you your strategy. And you will find that in most cases, everything goes smoothly because you kept your ego out of it. And get Guys, away. I promise you, this works. Not difficult. I tell you what, the first time I <laughs> did that, Tim, I was in shock. I was in shock. I, I forget where I originally <sighs> learned that, like present the list and then shut up, you know, and ask the seller, well, what do you think? And, and they're always like, well, yeah, we knew about that stuff. In fact, we've already got this scheduled and that scheduled. And, and then there was always that, but they didn't find out about, and you're like, shut up. You know, I don't hear la, 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 you know, and it went totally differently 
than the typical presentation of here's the list and the world's coming to an end and you better do this or we're going to back out, you know, or whatever side of the deal you're on. So I think that the overriding point is to remove your own expectations, your own emotions, and your own drama because, you know, a lot of times you're wrong about that. And it's shocking. And this, the same principle applies when you are presenting an offer to either side, but especially to sellers, that maybe you think in the back of your mind there's no way in heck they're going to accept. Do not ramp it up that way. Maybe they totally had a change of heart last night because they fell in love with the property that they want you to write on today. But you don't know because your approach was different than that. So present oh, we just and shut up. We, we just received – we just received a low-ball offer. It's terrible. It's insulting. You guys just talked yourself out of a deal. Listen to what Julie just said. This is how you adapt to a changing market, guys. Keep your egos out of it. That's not The value you bring to a deal is not your added drama. The value you bring to your deal is your ability to keep your mouth shut and stay out of the way of a seller who wants to sell a house and a buyer that wants to buy. It's easier than you think. Many of you work about a billion times too hard on these deals and cause yourself way too much stress because you add too much drama to them. It's really that simple, guys, I promise you. You know, look to see what your real estate license says if you want to know exactly what you're expected to do as part of a real estate transaction. Have you ever read it? You should go read it. It's very simple. Put it in the MLS. Put a sign in the yard, put a lockbox on the door. Typically, that's all your listing agreement is you know, committing to. And yet, you guys think you're supposed to be decorators. You think you're supposed to be home inspectors. You think you're supposed to be you know, all these other ridiculous things, and that's where you lose control of the deal. Keep your drama, keep your drama out of it. Keep your emotions out of it. Keep your own values out of it. Just keep calm, cool, and collected. Remember, your job is to make the deal close. That's what the seller is expecting you to do. That's what the buyer is expecting you to do. They want to do the deal. It's the agents that screw up the deals. Most times, it's not the buyers or the sellers. And if you do occasionally have an emotionally despondent seller or buyer, you think your drama that you bring to it is going to make that situation better or worse. Guys, got to look at the facts. Look at why you're not closing more transactions. New agents, this is your opportunity to learn right from the get-go and don't learn by losing deals. Don't you know, basically lose so many deals you fail out of the business because no one's telling you what we're telling you. This is the straight-up truth. This is how you do lots of transactions. Jules and I sold between 100 and 200 homes for, per year for almost 10 years. We sold over 100 houses our first year in our earlier 20s, maybe, just maybe, a little bit, tiny bit. We know what we're talking about. And we've been coaching for a lot longer than we sold real estate. So, guys, this is how you make money. This is how you become successful in real estate and, and, and increase your success in a changing market. If you guys need us for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.